0: Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back. To that same old place that you laughed
1: about. Well, the names have all changed.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 6 of Crime Stoppers. See it, say it, stop it a podcast that brings you informed discussion about unsolved crimes, wanted persons, awareness campaigns, and how citizens can remain anonymous to help keep their community safer. My name is Sean, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Detective Dimitri Tianos, from the Toronto Police Service and Police Coordinator of Toronto Crime Stoppers. Dimitri, what's going on, buddy? Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to our latest podcast. Sean, how are you keeping? Good, man, good. You know, it's uh, we're still doing the, the quarantine thing, but it, it is what it is, and uh, All is good, you know, getting a lot of work done, getting some house chores done on the weekend and whatnot. So it's good, man. What about yourself?
2: Same here. A lot of work. Crime doesn't stop. Just want to send a shout out once again to all our first responders, nurses, doctors, fire, ambulance, cops, everybody out there keeping us safe. And let's just uh, keep it going as much as we can. Stay in your houses. Try to combat this uh, COVID peak in various countries. Whenever it reaches, listen to your uh, health professionals and uh, adhere to what our people are saying.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I saw some of the uh, coverage yesterday and today by the premier and the mayor, and it sounds like they're going to, you know, start creating some sort of an action plan on getting the economy back up and running. Um, But they're also saying it's not going to be anytime soon. They're looking at, I think, a four to six week period before things start getting into that phase one stage. So we still got to quite a ways to go, but uh, it is what it is as long as everybody's healthy and safe. That's all that matters.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, let's get to today's
0: uh, podcast. So today it is the man behind Crime Stoppers, the person who created the idea. Uh, we're going to be discussing the program and its history, uh, but also discussing the successes that it's had since 1976 when it was created. So We have Albuquerque police detective Greg McLeese is going to be joining us to uh, discuss everything
2: to do with Crime Stoppers. Yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Greg was the inventor of Crime Stoppers. Mm -hmm. We won't get into too much detail of how he came about Crime Stoppers, but uh, maybe that's something that we can ask him and he can give us a little background of the investigation and uh, why he came about thinking of Crime Stoppers and how it helped him. But I'm glad to hear that you guys are safe. You and your family are good. Me and my family are good as well. And just sending a shout out to every listener out there. So stay tuned. We'll have Greg uh, up with us shortly.
0: As mentioned off the top, we uh, have now the man behind Crime Stoppers, retired detective, Albuquerque Police Department, Greg MacLees. Greg, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, Holding up, holding up. (laughs) So just for our listeners and and, uh, so they understand kind of uh, where you are, you're currently in the Philippines, right?
1: That's correct. I've been in the Philippines now for about 12 years, uh, retired. Uh, And uh, my wife, who is a Filipina, uh, she and I have Two young boys, ages uh, 10 and 8. It's been a whole new life uh, for me. So never had any kids until I turned 62. <laughs> so,
2: hey, listen, oh, wow. man. No worries. You're still young. You're still young.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: awesome. That's awesome. So it's uh, it's
0: kind of funny. I mean, you're in the Philippines now, but uh, you are f- originally from Canada. You were born in Canada, were you not?
1: That's correct. I was born in Picton, Ontario, just down the road. My dad was uh, with the Royal Canadian Air Force, and so, you know, we moved all over Canada. And then in 1961, he was uh, transferred to Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New hmm. Mexico, in the United States, to set up a liaison office with the Special Weapons Center there. And so my dad, oh, who, nice. yeah, he was one of the senior armaments officers with RCAF, and so and uh, we stayed here and uh then my dad decided to retire uh he liked those uh, nice warm uh, winters and uh, mm-hmm. the fact that he would always brag to his friends about playing golf on christmas day and uh, so yeah. anyway so uh, we ended up staying i uh, was fortunate enough to get a athletic scholarship to uh, the university of new mexico uh where i played baseball okay and uh and then uh in 1973 i joined the albuquerque police department and uh so what i when i told my dad that i was uh, becoming a cop he said have you lost your mind <laughs> 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 this is his only comment but it turned out to be uh, just a uh, a very, very uh, fortuitous uh, decision. Um, you know, I had a magical career uh, with uh, Albuquerque. Uh, Albuquerque, incidentally, uh, for those uh, that might not uh, know, is a uh, city in, uh, it's about 600,000 population. Back when uh-huh. I moved here, it was about 300,000 uh, and. It's uh, New Mexico is a, a high desert plateau type of uh, mm. uh, geography because of its location. It's only two hundred and forty miles from the Mexico border, uh, so yeah. you get a lot of uh, transient crime. Uh, we have two interstate highways that uh, go through the city, a- and so there's a lot of transient crime. It's it's had a traditionally a, a rather high crime rate. With uh, narcotics driving an awful lot of the uh, uh, burglaries and auto thefts and what have you. Being an investigator
2: myself with Toronto here, uh, Greg, I know that we're just meeting for the first time here, but those (laughs) transient crimes are very hard to uh, to solve because people aren't they 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 don't have a um, a place where they live there or you know friends that know them. So it's it's pretty difficult to solve those type of transient crimes.
1: It's difficult, and, of course, uh, also, the stolen property is not staying in the city. It's uh, probably being moved out of the city with the transients uh, mm-hmm. as they continue on their way. Right. Uh, to right. give you an idea, uh, Albuquerque has, uh, I think, the highest per capita auto theft rate in the United States. Wow. And part, part of the problem wow. is, is that, uh, let's say... Uh, somebody steals a car. Oh, let's say at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning from uh, the downtown car lots. Uh, and uh, people are down, to, uh, are working. And by the time that they get out of work at five o'clock at night, uh, their car is long gone uh, across the border into Mexico. So,
0: wow, so yeah. you've got to
1: You know, that that is uh, also one of the uh, significant issues. We've got a gang problem in the city Uh, right now. The the crime rate has gone back up. Uh, For many years, we had it under control. But one of the big problems uh, there is the fact that our department is understaffed, uh, which incidentally mirrors an awful lot of what is going on across the United States. It's it's becoming increasingly difficult to uh, find uh, young people who want to become cops. I hear you. Just to just to back up a little bit, I just one little
0: fun fact about yourself: you were once uh, signed by the LA Dodgers, were you not?
1: That is correct. Uh, I was uh, signed by the Dodgers at a, out of out uh, of <laughs> out of college, and uh, uh-huh. at, and actually pitched against the major league team at uh, one point and uh, in an exhibition game and was warming up next to none other than Sandy Koufax. Uh, and he and I had a great wow. conversation and and uh, had maintained a friendship uh, for many, many years. Uh, great guy. Um, but, you know, Sandy was, was uh, taking a look at how I gripped the, my curveball and how I released it. And I uh, was quite yeah. impressed with, uh, you know, the amount of spin that that I had on it. But uh, as with many uh, young people, uh, what ended up happening is, is that I hurt my arm. Uh, you know, I threw a curveball one day and my, as they say, my elbow went with it. Oh, and wow. uh, so it was the, uh, the end of the career. That really was uh, the fortunate part of things is the fact that uh, I moved on to become a, um, um, a police officer. And I spent several years uh, on patrol uh, and then had the good fortune to um, be recruited for a, uh, a program called the, the Field Investigator Program which was uh, uniform detectives out in the field. So I was collecting evidence of crime scenes, uh, diagramming mm-hmm. fatal accidents, um, and also interviewing uh, witnesses and victims to uh, serious crimes. So it became a, a tremendous launching point for me to be able to then move into the violent crimes unit, uh, really at a, very, very uh, early point in my career. Uh, most of the guys who work in violent crimes had been uh, on the force for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. Uh, and here I was, uh, only had been there three years. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And
0: that's, you know, obviously an accomplishment, uh, not only to yourself and, and what you do. But when we fast forward to July of 1976, when you were involved in investigating a crime, can you kind of just walk us through kind of how that presented itself, and then where you got to the idea of uh, implementing and, and creating the the Crime Stopper platform that we know it today?
1: Sure. Um, in 1976, uh, in July, uh, we had a, a homicide. It was an armed robbery uh, at a gas station and. Uh, a young kid who was 19 years old at the time, a kid by the name of Michael Carmen, was killed during the robbery, uh, shot very brutally uh, with a, uh, with a uh, 20-gauge shotgun at point-blank range, and it literally almost cut him in half, and it appeared as though the offenders killed him for $36 in cash. And about four uh, boxes of Marlboro cigarettes. And, uh, you know, so it it just sort of, (laughs) you look at it now and you just think to yourself, boy, oh boy, uh, life is awfully cheap to some people. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, uh, so in investigating this, we had a lot of elements of solvability to this crime. Uh, the gas station was on a heavily traveled street. It was only about two miles away from a uh, military base, at the time Sandia Army Base. You you had what I felt were the high probability that we had a casual witness to this case. We had residential areas both east and west of the gas station. Uh, a 20-gauge shotgun has a, a, a fairly loud report, and so you have to figure that somebody had to have heard the blast of this shotgun, which uh, the crime mm-hmm. happened about one o'clock in the morning. And so we really thought that uh, that this was a case where we might be able to come up with a potential eyewitness. And yet we were right. spinning our wheels uh, two months into this investigation, and we still were really no closer to solving it than we were the very first night. Uh, and on mm-hmm. top of that, compounding it, we had had some other armed robberies to gas stations. So, you know, it was uh, it really was something where uh, there was a high level of frustration. But this was something that also mirrored the frustration in other cases, because we just weren't, in my opinion, we just weren't getting the, the type of cooperation that we needed from the public in order to be able to make a dent in uh, the crime rate. And in those days, Albuquerque had the the highest per capita crime rate in the United right. States. So, you know, it, uh, uh, as much out of frustration as anything else, I started to think about, well, what can we do to make a difference here? And right. I started to think of what was preventing people from cooperating with the police. And I came up with two factors uh, that, you know, you guys will understand and it resonates with you because it's universal. The first is the fact that uh, people are afraid. They're afraid of being involved. They're afraid of sure. being, uh, you know, in a system they don't know very much about. And they're also afraid of retaliation from the criminal element. What I wanted to do was, it was you ha- We had to overcome that fear. And so I developed a system where people would be able to call a, a special number, not 911 or, you know, the regular police lines. This would be a separate phone number. By calling that number, people could remain anonymous. And I developed a system right. where we could track the information and still keep the tipster totally anonymous. The second issue that I felt we had to overcome was uh, apathy. You, know, you have a lot of people who, if they're not victims of crime or not directly related to victims uh, of, of a crime, then, uh, you know, they, they really don't care that much about it. It's, it's sort of a, mm-hmm. a foreign territory in a way, but we had to get them involved. As Sir Robert Peel very famously said, and I'll tell you what his words today are exactly the same as is, is the philosophy of policing today. The police must be the public, and the public must be the police. And Absolutely. that is that is something that uh, I felt we had to get more people involved. Well, how do you overcome that apathy? And I knew from street experience and my experience as a detective that money talked. And yeah. that uh, often that'll get somebody's attention if nothing else will. And And so, you know we we developed a a system uh, where we could uh, get money uh, into a reward fund. Uh, but in order to do that, then we needed a civilian board of directors because you can't have the police department, Acting as a, as a fundraiser uh, for things. For sure, yeah. And so I organized this so that it would be a, a totally separate nonprofit corporation, uh, separate from the police department in the sense that the, the, there would be a civilian board of directors that would oversee the program uh, and raise the reward funds and then determine the reward amounts. Uh, based on Mm. the quality of the information and what have you so that essentially was the catalyst for getting crime stoppers started and when i approached my bosses about this they weren't necessarily thrilled with the idea (laughs) you know Uh, i can can remember our uh, one of our deputy chiefs this guy was a an old, grizzled West Texan. And when, it, when he spoke, his voice sounded like the wind from uh, the West Texas plains. And he, he looked at me while I was making this presentation uh, to the chief and his staff. He looked at me and he said, Detective McAleese, why should we pay citizens to do their civic duty? And I'm like, oh my lord, how do I answer that? You know, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. you know, because because certainly from a a theoretical uh, point of view, uh, he was he was right. Yeah. Practical point of view, we weren't getting the citizens to do their civic duty, and so we needed something to nudge them to do it, and uh, and so the rewards were essentially how we overcame it. So on September eighth, I had talked to a local television station, another the major TV station in Albuquerque. I had talked them mm-hmm. into into um, uh, filming a reenactment of the crime, because I felt uh, by reenacting the crime, maybe a casual witness uh, who was driving or wa- walking in the area, maybe it would trigger uh, their memories and uh, and they would be able to come up with something such as a vehicle description. We didn't even know what kind of car these these offenders were driving when they killed uh, Michael Carman. Uh, I, I had talked uh, the TV station into doing the the reenactment, and it aired on September 8th. Now, by that time, I had uh, gotten the approval of the police department to move forward with this uh, just on a sort of a one-shot basis to see whether it would work right. And it, uh, and it worked <laughs> so well that when uh, the reenactment was shown on TV, we had the crime solved within 72 hours. We actually had it solved uh, within, within uh, 48 hours. And we had the two offenders nice. custo- in custody uh, after about 53 <laughs> hours. So, wow. I mean, it was wow. just amazing how this thing uh, worked. But here's the thing. Not only did we solve the Michael Carmen killing but we also solved a gang rape that was more than a year old in which wow. three had been involved and a person called uh, uh, this number that we had set up it was eight four two eight thousand I mean it's burned into my mind and uh, and so they had called this number and, and the person on the other end wanted to remain anonymous was not interested in a reward but had been living with his knowledge of this crime for well over a year and was tortured by guilt that no you know the case was still unsolved and uh, so he provided the the names of the three suspects and showed, uh, f- uh, photo lineups to the victim, uh, she immediately identified all three guys and, uh, we ended up convicting them. So yeah. there we were. I mean, it was just, it was just, uh, quite amazing. And, and we realized that we had caught lightning in a, in a bottle, you know, I mean, that was, that was the whole thing. Sure. We, we were onto something where the people, the public was responding. The media was really supportive uh, and and so we then continued uh, the process and got the program organized and that ultimately became crime stoppers and now of course it's it's worldwide. With the early success that you had there with the
0: carmine uh, car case and, and the other uh, case there, what was your supervisors? thought after
1: that well unknown to me uh <laughs> they nominated me for national police officer of the year uh and and wow. uh that award uh, was presented by the international association of chiefs of police and so my chief uh bob stover uh was had a very dry sense of humor and Mm-hmm. He called me into his office in in June or July of 1977, and he said, um, "What are your plans uh, in October uh, of this year?" And I said, "I have no idea, Chief." I said, "I don't even know, you know, what my plans are for next week." And he said, "Well, he said, I'll tell you what. I know one thing that you're going to be doing. He says you're going to be going to the International Association of Chiefs of Police because you have been." Uh, selected as the National Police Officer of the Year. <laughs> and I was just, wow. I was just dumbfounded. But uh, uh, that, uh, that just was indicative of, uh, of how we were able to, to really get uh, the total support from all levels of the uh, police department.
0: You know, just to back up a bit, when uh, you were talking about the board of directors, and this is something that I learned a few years ago, uh, in your in your book, Crime Stoppers: The Inside Story that you co-authored uh, with uh, you know our friend Paul yeah. Miller, you mentioned that the first person you recruited was Carl Jones, the head of security for Circle K Corporation uh, out of New Mexico. Yes. and in the book you went on to say, and I quote: "The moment." Might have been the luckiest in the history of Crime Stoppers because Carl, jo- uh, Carl Jones turned out to be a powerful advocate for the program. As you know, I'm also with Circle K. I cover the uh, Central Canada region uh, for for the security department. So when I read that, I immediately drew to the history of not only the Circle K Corporation but the history of Crime Stoppers, and I preach that now. Uh, within my organization, but can you explain a little bit more about how important Carl Jones was in making Crime Stoppers turn out to be the vision well, that you have? Carl
1: was uh, was just a great man, and uh, he was uh, a former. Uh, he had been an agent with uh, the Army in their Criminal Investigation Division, uh, and had spent really a full career there, uh, and. Circle K uh, was wise enough to hire him as their as their head of security for their southwest region uh, which included parts of west Texas and mm-hmm. and uh, also New Mexico and uh, parts of Arizona. Carl was a tireless mm-hmm. worker. He immediately saw the benefit of what crime stoppers was all about and he mm-hmm. The one thing that he did was uh, because of the fact that Circle K was having a lot of robberies at the time, uh, what he really wanted to do was uh, to, to get more of the, the top security people uh, in other companies to become involved with Crime Stoppers. And so that became very, very helpful in our uh, in our efforts to not only raise funds, but also to have people who are knowledgeable uh, about uh, criminal activity have them on our board of directors. But it was Carl who was uh, the, the driving force in putting together the the board, and uh, and he, whatever I needed, uh, he was there to to provide it. Uh, we had a tremendous working relationship and a great friendship uh, that developed. Like I said, uh, you know, when I found out that, I started
0: preaching that within uh, the organization just to show the importance of the two organizations and how the history is connected and why, uh, you know, Circle K on a national and international level uh, should support Crime Stoppers programs locally, uh, wherever we have stores. Now, there's a stat out there that says every 14 minutes, a Crime Stoppers tip has led to an arrest somewhere in the world. Billions of dollars in recovered property, uh, drugs. When you look at the success of Crime Stoppers overall since 1976, what do you think of the idea that you had to solve one case and where it is now? Well,
1: it, it <laughs> yeah, there are a number of thoughts that go through my mind. Uh, first of all, the fact that the program was built on a on a solid concept. It has been repeated. It, all the programs are, are really uh, organized in virtually the, the same manner as the original program in Albuquerque. There's very little variance, uh, although nowadays uh, the programs are far more sophisticated. Uh, you can uh, send tips uh, over the phone and, and uh, they're all encrypted so that you can remain anonymous. whole initiative uh really and the success of it is reflective of the people that have been involved you can have a great idea Mm -hmm. but if you don't have the right people to carry out that idea you know most of the time uh, you're just going to bang your head against a wall but in this particular case especially uh in the early days we've had just some very very talented uh, people who were our crime stoppers coordinators uh, and also uh, members of the board. And, and, of course, here's the other thing that we sometimes don't uh, discuss enough, and that is the fact that we have tremendous support from the media at the local level. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, we, we're, yes, we're solving a crime every 14 minutes. That works out to about 1,750,000 cases worldwide. Uh, over the last 44 years you know we're well over uh 10 billion dollars with a b uh and recovered stolen property and narcotics and and over a million uh, arrests yeah. uh incidentally that's one of the nice things about living in the philippines i don't run into any of my former customers <laughs> and i've got a lot yeah <laughs> that must be good yeah but uh it's nice to sort of be yeah, anonymous uh, here in the philippines but you know the the whole key is the fact that we have uh we, we have had dedication throughout and and it's been selfless dedication and and that's what really makes this program work yeah i'm the i'm the creator of this thing and uh, you know and and, and i give myself credit for the fact that I'm a very, very stubborn uh, Scotsman. You know, you, you don't tell me no and yeah. <laughs> without me trying to, trying to uh, j- change your mind. And, and uh, developing this program, it, it was overcoming a lot of barriers that uh, were placed in front of me uh, in order to be able to do this. Uh, part of the problem was that there were a number of people uh, originally in the police hierarchy, who were afraid of failure? They were afraid that we weren't that the program wasn't going to work and that it would make the department look bad. But that's not the case, you know. And right. and 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 their nomination to me for police officer of the year is indicative of how the their attitudes changed. But you know, the other thing is is that the significant uh, significance of crime stoppers is the fact that we I think we changed the mindset of many police. Uh, administrators. Uh, it used to be in the old day that we would uh, sort of be a little standoffish. And, you know, we didn't really want the public to know that much about our business, how we did things. But that's all changed. And, and I think the Crime Stoppers has uh, been in the forefront of changing the attitude of, of police officials so that they now embrace the public's involvement uh, in the entire process. If I can jump in there, uh, Greg, it's to me.
2: Yeah. Fun. Now, I, I I agree with you 100%. Everything you said is amazing. You know, the proof of concept in starting this would have been so difficult, especially in your era where it would be... Because um, I did get on when it was a time of uh, old school policing, yeah. and it was bringing, bringing that to the senior officers would have been very, very difficult at that time. And kudos to you for doing that, and showing that mm-hmm. it actually works. Second thing you mentioned about the board, the coordinator, having that right yeah. team. I'm, I've, I've been here now for almost two years, and I'm lucky enough to have, not because Sean's listening, of course, <laughs> but uh, lucky to have a guy <laughs> like Sean as the yeah. chair. My directors are amazing. And one big thing that you mentioned is the education factor, the cops knowing how mm-hmm. the public helps us and how we can reach out to those uh, individuals. Yeah. I know that when you started, there was a phone and people would call in, leave a message or whatever way it was handled back then. But now with our new systems that most of us are on, you can actually have a dialogue that still remains anonymous, which is amazing as an investigator, because one operator might ask a few questions that me and you might ask different questions. So here's a way that uh, the investigators can now anonymously communicate with the tipster. In my 20-year career, mostly in investigative with uh, major crimes, I was in hold-up for robbery mm-hmm. section, and our gun and gang section. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I used to get these papers for Crime stopper tips, and I didn't know how to deal with them. I didn't know what Crime Stoppers yeah. was about. So when I first got in here, the biggest hurdle that I had was educating yes. internally.
1: Yes, yes, oh, you and, and making
2: yep. and and making sure that all the coppers, all my buddies, knew that I was here. I can help them, but then I have to go around to all these specialized units and say, you know, old school policing is still there. I'm 100% behind it, but here's some other ways you can do it. And you should have seen their eyes just open up mm-hmm. on the different ways that Crime Stoppers can help. Yeah, and that goes to us not being able to publicize the cases that we we make arrests on. Yeah,
1: right? yeah, and and that's sure. uh, you know the other thing is that uh, the media really uh, feasts on the fact that this program is successful and they can see its success. I mean, it's right there in front of them as far as uh, the, you know, the uh, cases that are solved. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing is, uh, and we sometimes uh, sort of lose track of this, is the fact that what does this do for the victims of crime? And Crime Stoppers Mm -hmm. has been their advocate for 44 years. uh, And that... Uh, I think is extremely important. Uh, it gives the victims of crimes uh, uh, an avenue of trying to uh, get some closure for uh, what's going on. And, uh, you know, so that in itself has uh, been exceptionally important, too. For sure. Yeah, we're, for sure. We're,
2: we're, we're, we're bringing back the reenactments. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Funding. And trying to get some time from the media, especially during these busy, busy times. Oh, yeah. But when we do get the reenactments, you are right. The victims, some more than others, come forward, want to be part of it. And you should see the glow in their faces, knowing that attention is being brought back to their loved ones, yep, right? Yeah. And um, it's just another avenue for these investigators to get that information out
1: yeah yeah um, and
2: but no i i i want to take this chance and say thank you so much for for at least on behalf of the <laughs> toronto police service Uh-oh. we've been using your program since the gary grant yeah. days of uh the mid-80s yeah right? oh,
1: absolutely so, and yeah. Uh, you've done a the, the program has been tremendously successful
2: too bad you're uh too far or I'd uh, buy you a drink, of course, considering yeah. the social distancing, I wouldn't give you a
1: hug right now. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take a yeah. long distance. That's, a, that's about go. the best can for, sure. for now. <laughs>
0: so, Greg, thanks once again for taking the time out of your day. I know this is uh, you know early in the morning for you, a little bit uh, late at night for us, but it uh, means a lot for you know both myself and Dimitri and the Toronto Crime Stopper Board and the listeners of our podcast actually, you know, have some time to uh, sit down and hear from you. So thanks very much. We appreciate it.
1: Uh, listen, it's it's been my pleasure. And the best of luck with your bra- with your podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, call Thank upon you. me at any time. Well,
2: Thank we you, will. Greg. Take it easy. Yeah, all right, ready. guys. Enjoy your right. time. <laughs> so far, it's, <laughs> it's been
1: great. But my two boys aren't letting me uh, get very far away from a timer, And I, I sort of feel as though I'm, I'm like a, a, a still a cop, you know. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> you
2: always are. You always are. Okay. And you know what I told my buddies uh, to retire? Collect as many checks as you yeah, can. That's yeah.
1: right. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah,
0: okay. Always good to have a conversation with Greg McAleese, the brains behind Crime Stoppers. Great discussions there, hey eh, Dimitri.
2: What a what what a character! I love him. He's a very knowledgeable guy. I'd love when all this COVID stuff goes away. And if he's ever in town, I'd love to sit down and have a couple of beers with him and listen to all his stories. He probably has tons of them.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. So as we conclude, I'd like to remind everyone once again that community safety is a shared responsibility. See it, say it, stop it. Remember, you remain anonymous. Criminals don't. For more information, please visit us at 222tips.com and follow us on social media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, stay connected, and join the conversation. Please share our podcast, and if you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, please email us at crimestopperspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, be safe.
2: And let's not forget, people, stop crime one tip at a time.